0: Hey, everybody, this is Andy, a.k.a. Love Retro BTW across Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch. I do a podcast every Saturday called Cafe BTW, a morning gaming podcast, a retrospective look at the wonderful world of retro gaming from interviews to guests. Join us every Saturday, like a Saturday morning cartoon starting at 8 a.m., 11 a.m. Eastern. Also, if you're on Twitter please join the brand new retro gaming community, a place to share, connect, and show your love for the retro gaming community. All the links are down below. And remember, enjoy the Gamers Week podcast. Coming up on Gamers Week podcast. Have you cleared a level yet?
1: No.
2: Okay, get ready for the best feeling of your life. I don't care what life experiences you've had to this point, but there's gonna be a before you cleared level and an after you
0: cleared level point in your life. Blue, I know what your first tattoo needs to be then.
1: The little vampire survivor sprite or something? Yeah,
0: and then like level clear.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And like the date and time that it happened. Yes. Like some people get those tattoos about their children being born. I'll get it about when I be vampire survivors, the first level. (laughs)
0: We usually just use the recording that comes straight out of Zencaster. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Unless we have a disaster, which has only happened maybe once or twice.
0: (laughs) Right. (laughs) Nice. Uh, One of them just so happened to happen in the middle of an interview with a guest as well. That was a little scary there for a minute Because it was Carrie Ann Hoskins and, <laughs> right? <laughs> right Didn't want to have to be like Hey Carrie Yeah, great interview Can we do that again?
1: Yeah, will you come <laughs> back and tell all those stories Exactly the same way, please?
2: <laughs> we had the same thing with um, Rebecca Heinemann Nice She said she sent us her audio mm-hmm. And then I waited a week And it wasn't here yet So I asked her again And she was like No, I sent that to you And I deleted it on this end So Oh no <gasps> Cool. Cool. Oh (laughs) Oh,
1: no. Did it work out?
2: Oh no. No. I waited like a year. I'm like, hey, you want to be on again? Like I act like it never happened and she did and it was fine. (laughs) Nice.
1: (laughs) 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 Nice. Okay. Podcaster horror (laughs) stories.
0: Right.
2: Yeah. None
1: of us will sleep tonight.
0: (laughs) All right. You guys ready to do this? Yeah, I'm ready when you are. Let's do it. Welcome to Gamers Week Podcast. Like the name says, we analyze the best, the worst, and the weirdest headlines of the past week in the video game industry. My name is Ryan, aka Retro Game Brews, and this is episode 71, and today is Wednesday, May 3rd, 2023. And I have with me one amazing host, a woman who is only one update away from absolutely loving Mario Kart 8 and hating its very existence, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Blue Williams. Blue, how are you doing today? <laughs> uh,
1: it's so true. The last <laughs> update is terrible. <laughs> oh, my God.
0: Well, you know what? You can join the club of people who hate Mario Kart. It's less of a club and more just me. (laughs) So (laughs) it would be nice to to have some new members.
1: Oh, you're the only one there? Um, No, thank
0: you. (laughs) Oh, harsh. Harsh. (laughs) Well, unfortunately, tonight, Donnie is out due to a freak nose picking accident, but we wish him a speedy (laughs) and safe recovery. Oh dear! Uh, But we are super excited to introduce our guest host for this week, Rob from the Retro Game Club podcast. Rob, why don't you go ahead and tell our audience a little bit about yourself?
2: Hi, my name is Rob and I'm an Uber nerd that plays retro games and I'm very excited to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much. So you're a part of the Retro Game Club podcast. How long have you guys been doing that?
2: Oh, geez. We're in season five now, which is crazy. We used to do it weekly and then it just became too much. (laughs) I hear you. (laughs) Yeah. Now it's ever evolving. But um, yeah, we just talk about retro games, uh, a lot of focus on emulation and retro news. And every week, uh, Hugh and I pick a Game Club game
0: to play. Excellent. Excellent. Well, again, thank you so much for joining the show and we are excited to have you. Yeah. Thank you so much.
1: Of course, we will have their links as we do every week in the show notes. So when you're done listening here, be sure to head on over and check out Retro Game Club podcast.
0: I agree. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So why don't we jump into our reviews, reactions and requests for the week?
1: All right, first up from Frank Grande. Kind of surprised nobody mentioned the Mario Party games for GameCube on the Switch, unless I completely missed that. Those were the best Mario Party ones, in my opinion. And no, Frank, you didn't miss it. It was a complete oversight on Mm -hmm. my part. I definitely heard an earful about it from Mr. Blue after the episode (laughs) released. He's like, why the hell didn't you mention Mario Party? Those are the best Mario Parties. I was like, oh my God, you're right. So...
0: Mistakes were made.
1: Mistakes were made. <laughs> all right. Next from JNL Game. A writer's view isn't real. I've been feeding AI all sorts of stuff. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. I knew it. I knew it.
0: That explains so much.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, on the plus side, that probably means that I don't really have to pay my student loans back, right? If I'm not real.
0: I like your justification.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And next from Colonel Falcon, Colonel Falcon enters the wards next to the Emporium, stares at the long arms of the Citadel, turns around and screams, I am Colonel Falcon, and I'm listening to my favorite (laughs) podcast, Gamers Week Podcast.
0: (laughs) Colonel Falcon, that was awesome. Thank you so much for that. That made my day.
1: (laughs) Yes. When you're done with your fan fiction, let us know. We'll definitely read it.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. And now it's time for the. This is Retro Game presenting you with a very important poll. A poll so important we named it so as people signed up about their opinions of the gaming past. We've gotten to of questions, opinion questions, questions about your gaming lifestyle, and much, much more. We've got four slots for suggestions to choose from. That's why we include others. So please don't be offended if your favorite game wasn't one of the picks. You can still let us know your thoughts via comment, quote, tweet, email, DM, parry your pigeons, hot takes, cold takes, lukewarm takes, joke takes, we take all takes. The very important poll is brought to you by your friends at Gamers Week Podcast. I'll listen to the show.
1: Wow. <laughs> uh, um I assume that you just read that live just now. Could we get another take of that?
0: Oh man, I deleted the script. <laughs> <laughs> I totally would too, because I I I only, only increased the speed by about 10%. So I was close. I was, I was darn close. But,
1: uh, uh, well done. The Micro
0: Machines man, I am not. <laughs> All right. So every Monday on Twitter, we post our VIP or very important poll. If you'd like to participate, follow us on Twitter at GamersWeekPC. This question of the week was, what is your favorite video game about history? Coming in third place was Assassin's Creed 2 with 21.6% of the vote. In second place was Age of Empires 2 with 26.1% of the vote. And winning it this week with no surprise whatsoever, Oregon Trail wins it with 37.5% of the vote and 13.8% of you said other. So let's take a look at some of the comments from the poll. So dysentery won. Dysentery won. Yes.
1: (laughs) What kind of world is this when dysentery wins?
0: (laughs) First off from Shadow DX, in an infinite multiverse, every video game is about history. But as for me, it's liberty or death. Touche, Shadow. (laughs) Touche. And Soft After says, because I love both Genesis and Super Nintendo and PC versions, where in the world is Carmen Sandiego and where in time is Carmen Sandiego? Great general knowledge, a lot of globe hopping, fun, and very family friendly. Love that (laughs) show. (laughs) And Jay Bowden says, Darkest of Days has the most accurate depiction of the American Civil War. Until you get a P90 and mow down the Rebs. (laughs) Love this game. And what a unique concept. ARJ and in CRJ. (laughs) Arj and in charge. Arj and in charge. Wow, that is a great Handle. I'm now jealous that I didn't <laughs> think of it, eh? And that I didn't know how to pronounce it. Awesome, great stuff. <laughs> so, Broken Sword is up there. So is Civilization's Fate of Atlantis too. And last up is at a gamer's looks at forty says I've been terrified of dysentery ever since I was seven year old. Still not one hundred percent sure what that is. And I explained to him that I could explain it to him. <laughs> <Nope>. but
1: uh... <laughs> yeah. At this point, if you don't know, it's it's for the best. You just leave it.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Google is not your friend. <laughs> All right, so take a look at this week. Blue, what did you go with?
1: So I did vote for the third place entry, which was Assassin's Creed 2, but really, I just used that as a representative of the Assassin's Creed series as a whole. Now, I know the um-actually crowd is fond mm-hmm. of saying that the Assassin's Creed series takes an awful lot of liberties with their historical accuracy, and I'm here to say I ain't care about that. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're fun to play. I enjoy immersing myself in those historical worlds accurate 100% or not. So, definitely Assassin's Creed series for me.
0: Excellent. Rob, what about you?
2: Civilization. I was in the other crowd. (laughs) You know, in the first Civilization, there's that intro that shows how the earth was even made, you know, everything before history. So, they kind of tie it all together, like prehistory, and then you create the rest of history.
0: So, is Civilization a game that you got into back in the day, or is that something that you recently got into?
2: Oh, I, I've been into that since since Civ One, and uh, I, I when I bought it, you know, I was like, "Oh man, I think I bought a boring game." And I, <laughs> then I came back to it like a week later. I was like, "You know, I'm young. This is my you know mowing grass money that I spent. I need to work through this." And it right. ended up being one of my all time favorites.
1: Nice. Which
0: one in the series has to be your all time favorite? Is it the first one or?
2: I would have to go with four because of Leonard Nimoy.
0: There you go. Wow. (laughs) That's a heck of a reason. (laughs) Yep. That's why I love C-Man on the Dreamcast. (laughs) The game is weird, but Leonard Nimoy, why not? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly.
2: Yeah. Yeah. He belongs in everything. At least his voice. Absolutely.
1: So how did you vote, Ryan?
0: Uh, So I went with a game that I played a lot as a kid and... It resulted from the fact that I was such a big fan of Warcraft and Starcraft, and this was just another example of one of those games that utilized historical stuff that I was into but utilizing it as a, you know, a turn-based strategy game. So I loved Age of Empires 2 in particular was really, really good. And uh, I just loved the fact that you could play as, you know, Japanese samurai. You could play as uh, Roman centurions. You could play as William Wallace and the Scot. uh All of a sudden, <laughs> you know, you had <laughs> trebuchets that you were able to attack with. So it was just a really unique perspective of that. I mean, granted, yes, probably not the most historically accurate, but just a fun way to play in that environment. Because, you know, watching Braveheart, even though that is terribly <laughs> historically <laughs> inaccurate, <laughs> uh, it was still kind of cool. It's like, all right, great. Now I get to, to handle the Scots. So, uh, love that game and uh, would still play it today.
1: 100% accuracy makes for really lousy storytelling yeah, people. yeah. So let know. it go. Let it go.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right. So why don't we go ahead and shout out our patrons for this week?
1: We couldn't do what we do without the help of our gorgeous patrons. Here are the generous folks supporting Gamers Week on Patreon, and yes, we have a new patron to announce. A big thank you and welcome to Michael LeKite. They'll be joining Emoesque, Bill Tucker, The Real Retro Game Brews, Fruitcake's Number One Stan, Ducks with Thick Thighs, Samus' Pronouns, Guy Three Brush, Peproni Hug Spot, Eternal Snarkness, <laughs> Sanity Crypto's Requiem, Wizard of Zardoz, Bobs and Dugnut, Retro Blast Pat, greatsiaman 84 b and Guy, Geek With That, Johnny Boombots, Crunchy Kong, Sheriff Snacks, Frank Grande, Love Retro BTW, Steven Sand, Ramboski, Terry Kinnair, Ducks in Disguise, Jim and Colleen, Games With Coffee, Hybrid Divide, You Fall Before Me, Davey PGH, The Redox PDX Family, including Shannon and Luke, Zach Huge Thanks, Number One Blue Sick Voice Fan, Random Retro Dude, Princess Kitty Mew Mew, Rai Ry Rai's Secret Best Friend, Mega Retro Man, and Gamatroid. If you like what you hear today, and we really hope you do, please consider joining us on Patreon. Your support helps cover the cost of producing the show, as well as other cool stuff we'll be doing, like prizes and giveaways. You'll also gain access to our weekly patron-only bonus cast called Gamers Week Uncut Patrons with Benefits. Visit patreon.com gamersweek or follow the link in the show notes to learn more.
0: All right, so why don't we go ahead and jump into our headlines for the week. Our headline segment is proudly sponsored by the Retro Game Club podcast. I've heard of this. What?
1: (laughs) (laughs) They sound pretty cool.
0: (laughs) They're nerds. (laughs) Well, what I've been told is that it's a fantastic, family-friendly retro gaming podcast, and you can visit them at retrogameclub.net or follow the link in the show notes. Rob, what's going on the show this week? Oh, man. Well,
2: this show... Is going to be. We didn't have time to record one, so we're doing another. This will be, geez, the fifth uh, in a series of we've watched uh, video game TV shows from the 80s and 90s. And so I think the next one is going to be Bad Influence from the UK. There's two from the UK, and one was the best and one was the worst. I'll (laughs) just leave it at that. (laughs) Gotcha. Nice.
1: You guys doing these deep dives into these gaming shows, it's been funny because you're doing a lot of international shows, seems like, that we haven't really heard of.
2: Right. Yeah, I mean, a lot of them I haven't either until I discovered um, – have you heard of on Twitch uh, – oh, what is it called? That old computer show? What is it called?
0: If it's Fat Old Computer Show, I'm definitely checking it out just by the name alone. (laughs) It's called Old Timey Computer Show. Oh, there we go.
2: (laughs) And all it is is on Twitch. This guy gets a bunch of videos from um, archive.org and places like that. And it's a bunch of like the Computer Chronicles that would have been played at like Toys R Us and stuff like that. And then all these old TV shows, too. So the ones we never heard of, I found on there, actually. Because it's kind of what I have on in the background while I'm working during the day.
0: Nice. So uh, I highly recommend that Twitch channel. It's a good time.
1: Nice. Well,
0: again, we've got the links in the show notes, so definitely check out next episode. But yeah, we got some headlines here, right? We do. <laughs> <laughs>
2: All right. Well, from Forbes, 9 million people have watched the full Super Mario Brothers movie illegally posted on Twitter. If you're wondering what getting rid of a vast majority of the Twitter staff, including most of the moderators, might do to a site, here's one bit of anarchy for you. The account at Vids That Go Hard, which has 1.1 million followers, posted the entirety of the Super Mario Brothers illegally on Twitter. Yes, the Super Mario Brothers movie that's still in the theaters that just crossed the billion-dollar mark at the box office. The account used the Twitter Blue subscription to post the full movie, uploaded in two parts. The post was live on the site for an astonishing 7 hours plus, during which 9 million people watched it. The videos were eventually taken down, but the original poster's account remains active now without its edge. The Twitter Blue subscription allows you to upload hour-long videos in high quality, which makes the piracy shown here much, much easier. It remains to be seen if the videos-that-go-hard account will be suspended or indefinitely banned. As for the Mario movie, we'll have to see just how high over the billion-dollar market could go. There are around 50 movies that have broken the the billion-dollar-in-the-box office revenue, with the top six being two adventure movies, two Avatar movies, a Star Wars and Titanic, which all hit $2 No doubt a sequel or three have already been crafted in the wake of the Mario Brothers movie's success. If you haven't seen it yet, you missed your chance to watch it for free on Twitter, but you could still head to the theater to see it in non-squished ratio and uh, legally.
0: <laughs> and uh,
2: legally.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is a ballsy move. This is a yes, super ballsy is. move. Like I know a lot of places post other videos and they either speed it up a little bit or they reverse it or they right. they compress the ratio and some Somehow that seems to get around copyright things. Mm -hmm. But history has shown us that Nintendo is so super litigious. Yes. This is a ballsy move to post this movie. And I I really, really (laughs) look forward to seeing what's going to happen to them.
0: Right. So 9 million views. It was up for seven hours. I wonder if, if that's going to mean a, a few pink slips at Twitter as well.
1: well. If there's anybody left to hand one to. That's
0: yeah, fair, right? You know, like you got four <laughs> guys left. It's like, all right, we got to fire somebody.
1: Yeah, <laughs> Nintendo's demanding a head, so.
2: Right. <laughs> yeah. And and would Elon give out the name, the real name, contact info of the person? good point. You know? He is
0: that kind of guy that would do that.
2: Yeah,
1: he might do it for Nintendo.
2: <laughs> right. Or is he? Didn't he blast some social sites for, quote unquote, working with the FBI and stuff like that? Oh, this, yeah. this seems like it would be similar to that, right? Right. Yeah,
1: but I think Elon is kind of a do as I say, not as I do kind of a guy. <laughs> you think? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think if, if it benefits him, he'll totally sell them out.
2: I can't wait to see this play out.
1: I know. Yeah. I got my popcorn ready. Let's do it.
0: <laughs> I wonder, though... Uh- Is this going to be a theme here moving forward? Are people going to see that someone got this much clout, this much exposure? We're talking about them in the news. Are we going to see copycats of this? And I wonder how many people are looking to do that. The only interesting part is that they've used Twitter Blue, though. And to my knowledge with Twitter Blue, you have to verify using your cell phone, which ties back to your information. So the question is, what person is going to be able to get around that? Burner phones. Yeah, I was going to say burner, burner, phones, burner
1: phone. Yeah. <laughs> Fake name, burner phone.
0: But my, my thought too is that it was up for seven hours. So it was probably was a trending video. It was a video that probably got a lot of hashtags as well. So that must mm-hmm. have come up on the trending page. So there was probably some indication that this was going on before the seven hour mark. And yet it still existed. So I think people have really pointed out some real big issues in regards to Mm -hmm. security at Twitter. Oh, yeah, for sure. (laughs) Right,
1: but even though that's supposedly what Twitter Blue is for, right? Right. You verify (laughs) yourself, so it's more secure, right? Right? (laughs) But I think you're right. I think that in the immediate aftermath of this, especially considering that the account was not really punished in any meaningful way, I don't see why a bunch of other accounts wouldn't try to do the same thing.
0: Oh, absolutely. I'll finally get to watch uh, every single movie that comes out in the theater right away. So rather than having to go find somebody who's on the street that recorded it on their phone and put it on a DVD now, now I can just watch it for free on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Even though, isn't that still coming from that same source? Uh,
0: probably, but now I don't have to pay the $7 that I would usually have to pay. <laughs> 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 can you can you do live video on Twitter? Could People just
2: start doing that from the theater?
0: Uh, They used to allow live video through a site called Periscope, but I think they they kiboshed that uh, maybe a year or so ago. Because what I was doing at at one point was I was kind of setting things up for um, some of the streams I was doing by doing like a pre-show on Twitter for 30 minutes to get people hyped to join. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that worked out really well because I was able to use like OBS and everything. It worked out fairly well. and Then all of a sudden, I think I remember trying to go live on it. They were like, nope.
1: <laughs> we changed our mind. Right. All right. Next up from GameSpot, PS5 exec doesn't want to see gaming's future dominated by live service games. Although PlayStation is in the midst of a big push into live service games, one executive with the company doesn't want to see the games industry become too homogenous. Speaking to The Guardian, PlayStation boss Shuhei Yoshida explained that the talent of game developers is what drives the industry forward, but he did admit that seeing the best-selling games list dominated by live service titles would be boring for him. The games industry will never cease to be a fun place. The industry keeps growing and growing, and I hope it keeps supporting and chasing creative ideas and people who try to work on new things. You don't want to see the top 10 games every year being almost the same, all games becoming service games, Yoshida said. That would be a bit boring for me. Sony has an ambitious goal to launch 12 live service games by 2025, and it recently acquired developer Firewalk Studios from its previous parent company, Probably Monsters, Inc. Firewalk has worked on Call of Duty, Destiny, Apex Legends, Halo, and other titles since it was formed in 2018. Sony says Firewalk will help it realize its live service goals alongside other studios working on these projects, including Bungie and Haven Interactive Studios. At the same time, Sony is still working on the prestige, single-player games that helped define the PlayStation brand during the 2010s, essentially giving fans of PlayStation the option to have their cake and eat it as they're given more choices. Sony always has several projects in development, and as Yoshida explained in the interview, the company cancels so many games as it experiments with and then evaluates different concepts.
2: That's the problem. They cancel the cool games.
0: (laughs) He just said it out loud, right? Said the quiet part out loud, right? (laughs) (laughs) I will say though, I agree with you, Mister Yoshida. Having all games be service games in the future—boring. That would be so incredibly boring. Obviously, these games are money makers, so that's why every studio is pumping out a hundred of them every minute. So I get it. I get why companies are focused on that. But the thing that really has grown the video game industry has not necessarily been live service games. That's been something that has been a recent development. Yes, people enjoy them. People love them. They are great. But at the end of the day, that service is one marketplace and leaves the rest of us kind of sitting there desiring more.
2: They should think of their games as like making an album, right? Yeah, okay. You have your one yep. hit, your your cash cow that you got to play at every stupid show and all the fans <laughs> go crazy and you hate it. And then you have the songs you actually love, you know, the interesting ones. So just have your one service game.
1: Or 12. <laughs> or 12.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, I mean, here's the thing is that, like you said, Brian, the live service games make money. Really, it's the small handful of the most successful live service games make so much, like absurd amounts of money that everybody is trying to get a piece of that pie. But I think the vast majority of live service games actually don't make money. So Sony is probably thinking that, well, if we can get one of these 12 to reach that echelon of top earning live service games, we'll be good to go. But Mm. I think what Yoshida is really doing here is throwing out some blanket reassurance for the population of gamers and probably the population of Sony fans specifically who hate this threat towards live service games. Right. We probably count ourselves amongst that group in that we don't like live service games as a general rule. We like the classic immersive single player experience. And so here Yoshida is going, no, 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 Shh, you're okay. We're, we're <laughs> going to keep doing that too. Hush now, hush. Really the company is going to do whatever makes money. Sure. So if more than one of these live service games, let's say they all go on to be super successful, but Sony puts out a bunch more forspokens that aren't, that would, I think, drastically change the makeup of the company. And they probably would become a live service game company, at least for a while.
0: And as far as you're concerned, would that make you feel like your purchase for a PS5 was worth it? No,
1: I'm like, Gosh, <laughs> darn it! I'm going to sell this and just get a bunch more switches, just because.
0: Because <laughs> you need one for every in every color, right?
1: I do. I really do need a switch light in every color, and the PS5 is a darn expensive Roku device <laughs> it's just for streaming. So if I'm not going to play games on it, I don't need it.
0: Do you guys play any service games?
2: Live service games?
1: Not me, though. Mister Blue is way into Warzone.
0: So, like, Fallout Guys and Among Us. Fallout Guys? Sorry, not Fallout Guys. Yeah. Fall Guys, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: So, I play those on occasion. I think it's those are fun for group settings, especially mm-hmm. when we do things like, you know, gaming nights with the the patrons. Those mm-hmm. definitely serve a purpose for that. Uh, we've done Rocket League. We've done Fall Guys. We've done Among Us. But It's not your primary, though. Yeah, yeah. It's not my preference as far as things go. And a lot of times, I end up playing them... You know, months after they're popular because Mm. everybody else is playing them. So it's like, all right, I'll give it a (laughs) shot. Yeah. Yeah.
1: What about you, Rob? Do you like live service games?
2: No, I'm more of a, and this is to quote Hugh, uh, more of a mono offline player. But Mm. um, I do like Splatoon a lot. I'll pick that up like every two weeks. I'll play a few hours of that. And, you know, every time a new one comes out, which has only been, well, twice since the first one, you Mm -hmm. know, I'll play it straight for like three weeks. But I don't even know if that would be considered because they don't take any microtransactions or anything. So.
1: Right. And you pay for it up front as opposed to as you go along for season passes or DLC or whatever is, you know, a bunch of skins, a bunch of nonsense. But
0: (laughs) yeah, I'm glad that isn't listed as a live service game because I played that today.
1: (laughs) (laughs) As far as we know, that's about the only game Ryan plays.
0: Nice. That's awesome. Well, it's Splatfest this weekend. So I got to, you know, got to get some conch shells, get ready for, for Splatfest.
1: Right.
2: Is uh, Vampire Survivors considered live service? Ooh, good question.
1: Well, I don't think so because I paid for it.
2: Yeah, can you buy skins and stuff? Oh, that would actually be kind of cool, wouldn't it?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Here's where the conversation veers into hypocritical territory. Exactly. Yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> now I need for that to happen. No, that would totally ruin it, wouldn't it? <laughs> right. But we do uh, have some Vampire Survivors news here.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, good segue. <laughs> <laughs>
2: From Game Informer, Vampire Survivors is getting an animated series. Vampire Survivors is going Hollywood thanks to the announcement of an upcoming animated TV adaptation. Developer Ponkel has confirmed that it's working with gaming consulting company Robot Teddy, which is an awesome name and a weird thing to think about.
0: <laughs> <laughs> teddy Ruxpin. <Rocksman. laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Like a teddy bears, right? Not lingerie?
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, just making sure we're on the same page. Yeah,
0: yeah,
2: totally. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and media co- and media company Story Kitchen to bring the hit arcade bullet hell game to the small screen. Story Kitchen is helmed by names such as Dimitri Johnson, co producer of the Sonic films, John Wick creator and writer Derek Kallstad, and APA agent Mike Goldberg. There are currently no other details about what the series will entail, such as the cast or premiere date. It's great to be partnering up with such experienced and talented people to make the show. I do wonder if they've realized that there isn't a single vampire in Vampire Survivors, though, says Luca Galatante, the founder of Punkle, in a press release. If you're tilting your head wondering how a pixelated arcade game could be translated into a show, it's worth noting that Vampire Survivors has been brought to life in an animated form before. It's two expansions, Legacy of the Moonspell, and recently launched Tides of Foscari. Is that how you pronounce that? Sure. (laughs) Uh, Both (laughs) featured slick (laughs) animated trailers, so those can be reference points for how the series may potentially appear. Vampire Survivors has been on quite a roll since it launched to a widespread acclaim last year, scooping up several end-of-year awards and walking away with a couple of BAFTA trophies this year, including Best Game. What do you guys think?
0: I'm going to leave this to Blue because she said that she needed (laughs) to play this after we're done. So, clearly, she's got an opinion.
1: I'll admit... I just downloaded it today in preparation for us recording tonight. And I played it for mm-hmm. about two hours straight. And then I looked up and I was like, oh, shit, we're going to go record. I have to turn this <laughs> off. <laughs> so it's uh, super, super fun, super, super addicting. But I am amongst those people, I guess, tilting my head, wondering how this could be made into an animated series. Because there's not much To the game, at least as far as I've been able to find so far. If there's a story, I don't know it yet.
2: So yeah, we only before we recorded, we only briefly spoke about this. So I thought that you had been playing for a while. So this just got interesting. So (laughs) you're like two hours. You're like two hours into it. I'm I'm fascinated right now. What so far? What's your favorite character to play? Like Um, favorite weapon to main.
1: I like the the first character that they give you, and I I don't remember their names, but the yeah. one with no, the not whip. Name, but
2: yeah. yeah, yeah, the
1: the the whip. I like especially when you get it going both directions. That helps a heck of a lot. But mm-hmm. then, um, like my favorite is the garlic. I freaking love the garlic because then too. you can oh, just yeah. walk through like the hordes of bats, and they're all popping around you like popcorn. It's like yes, yes. give me more of the little blue gems.
2: Have you cleared a level yet? No. Okay, get ready for the best filling of your life. I don't care what life experiences you've had to this point, but there's going to be a before you cleared level and an after you cleared level point in your life.
1: Interesting. I mean, I, I leveled my character up to like level 18. Is it amount of time before you pass a level or you have to like accomplish
2: something? Yeah, eventually it just fills up with monsters and stuff and they just force you to die. Like death just comes for you, but you are just murdering so many (laughs) monsters at that point Mm -hmm. that I I think I was like floating above my body looking down like an out of body (laughs) experience when this happened the first time like I don't know if my kids were talking to me or if my wife needed like at that point I was just in the game it was amazing
0: Blue, I know what your first tattoo needs to be then
1: the little vampire survivor sprite or something. Yeah. And
0: then like level clear.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And like the date and time that it happened. Yes. Like some people get those tattoos about their children being born. I'll get it about when I be vampire survivors, the first level.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
2: I I can't wait. I cannot wait. You need to talk about this when it happens. (laughs)
0: Because the game itself, right. To correct me if I'm wrong, the game itself is like a mixture between a bullet hell and like, what's uh smash TV. Right. yes,
2: it's almost a reverse bullet hell where where you become the hell eventually right. right and I've probably only put like 10 hours into it maybe 20 tops
1: interesting all right so how far have you gotten then
2: i I've probably cleared or whatever the right term for when they just death comes and murders you I've probably done like f- only five or six levels but I think it's because the first like I had so much fun doing that on the first one. I was like, I'm going to do that again. I want it. I want that feeling again. Need
0: that dopamine. <laughs> yeah.
1: And I, I realized that, you know, people have been clued into this game and how cool it is for a while now. And I'm just now catching on. Like, I'm hip. I'm cool. But um, since you, you played it a little bit longer than me, what do you think about an animated adaptation of it?
2: I think it'll be great. I, I think it'll be great. I think, you know, the Sonic films... Are really like genuinely funny, so I think they're in good hands. John Wick. I'm one of the few people that I, like I really like Keanu, but John Wick, I'm kind of take it or leave it kind of guy. But nothing wrong with it. So, but he has those two people working with him. I'm assuming this will end up on Netflix or something. You know, they did a great job with with um, Castlevania, which mm-hmm. that should not have been as good as it was. So, um, I, for some reason, I'm hoping it's like that level.
1: This game is practically Castlevania anyway, with all the different nods to it. Like the cover art is straight up Dracula. You get uh, ground chicken instead of wall meat, you Mm -hmm. know. So there's definitely a lot of homage to Castlevania as it is. So if they just kind of went that general direction with an animated series, I would be so happy.
2: Yeah, I hope this happens fast. I really want to see this
1: fast but yet also take your time and make it right game. yeah yeah exactly
2: yeah and you know what like even if it's not bad i don't think it'll affect the game at all i think people will be able to separate them right mm-hmm. unless they make vampire survivors the movie the game <laughs> it, it
0: worked so well with street fighters so. oh, well, yeah.
1: you never know we are in the worst timeline
0: yes. anything could yeah. happen All right, so why don't we go ahead and take a look at our top three new releases for the week. First up is Super Dungeon Maker Switch and PC. Super Dungeon Maker is a creative pixel art dungeon editor inspired by the best 2D adventure games. Choose however many levels, enemies, secret rooms, traps, and items you want. Challenge your friends and the community to try to master your dungeon and play the countless dungeons of the community. Next up is Ravenlock Xbox Series X and S, Xbox One, and PC. Upon entering a mystical mirror, Ravenlock is whisked away into a whimsical world plagued by the sinister darkness of a tyrannical queen. Destiny awaits all in an unforgivable and heartfelt adventure. Battle against fearsome beasts and formidable monsters using real-time combat. Meet curious creatures and help them with their troubles to fight back against the encroaching darkness. And lastly, Redfall, Xbox Series X and S and PC. Redfall is an open-world first-person shooter from arcane austin the award-winning team behind prey and dishonored the island of redfall massachusetts is under siege by a legion of vampires who have blocked out the sun and cut the citizens off from the outside world explore the open world and immerse yourself in a deep story campaign as you unravel the mystery behind the vampires appearance so taking a look at these three blue what are you in for this week
1: Well, we're going to be talking about Redfall a lot here in a minute, so I'm not going to go too much into my thoughts on that now. But listeners of the show know I don't like shooters, so I'm going to go ahead and skip that one. As far as the other two go, the one I like the look of the most is Super Dungeon Maker with that pixel art style. I don't necessarily want to play it. like I don't like that part of Mario Maker. I don't like making my own levels, but I do like playing other people's levels, so... I might pick it up later, like after it's been established and there's a lot of, hopefully, levels online available to play. Mm -hmm. Maybe something like that. Ravenlock looks like the gameplay um, would be most aligned with how I like to play. It looks like an action RPG. The graphics kind of give me a PS2 vibe. So (laughs) it's not the prettiest game, at least from what I've seen, in my opinion. But of these three, that's the one that I would go with.
0: Very nice. Rob, what about you?
2: I was going to go straight to Ravenlock. Also, I need to get that queen. She needs to be stopped.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, this sounds
2: personal almost. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, we'll, we'll be talking about Redfall. I really don't get into games where you kind of build stuff yourself, you know? So, Super Dungeon Maker, probably not for me. Yeah, Ravenlock is the one. And I like PS2 graphics, so I (laughs) do the retro retro (laughs) podcast. That's
0: right.
1: (laughs) Ooh, PS2 is retro. Ouch. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah. (laughs) Don't at me.
1: (laughs) What about you, Ryan?
0: Uh, so Redfall. uh, I'll do the same. I'll actually save my opinions for that one. Um, Mine's a little bit more positive than I think people would expect, but nonetheless, we'll get to that. As far as Super Dungeon Maker, I I tried back in the day to play RPG Maker. And when uh, Mario Maker came out, I tried pretty intensely to try to make interesting levels and it just never clicked with me. Which is interesting because I, I like to write stories, but the actual physically making the games and and setting them up that just... Wanes on me a bit. Like I feel like I'm never making the right choices, and I always find somebody else who's doing it way better than I am. So it's almost a kind of an ego uh, thing as well, where just uh, <laughs> <laughs> like look at my beautiful creation. Oh, somebody did it so much better yeah, than it's, me. it's why I don't do Minecraft. Either. Exactly right. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so that one's probably going to be a pass for me. But I think you're right, Blue. Maybe playing other people's dungeons could be fun. So that that might be an interesting. Grab, um, but Ravenlock. That game looks interesting. This feels kind of like the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe PS2 version. I guess is what I, it sounds like <laughs> is based that off a of good the thing? <laughs> right, you whisk away to the mag- uh, into a mirror. Right, so it's a wardrobe, same deal. Right, you're, you're right. fighting against a tyrannical queen. You've right.
1: got Santa Claus shows up because of reasons, I suppose. Yeah.
0: I love those books as a kid. I haven't read them in many years, so maybe I wouldn't uh, like them as much as an adult. But uh, any (laughs) opportunity to relive that nostalgia, I'm all for it. And especially considering the graphics are at a time frame when uh, gaming was something that I really enjoyed.
1: Because it's retro.
2: You know what this graphics really remind me of is what is... Oh, this is going to be so random. Oh, it sounds so <laughs> lame. It was locked to Google Stadia. It was the only game that was only on that system. Um, yes. That's what it looks like to me. Except a little brighter.
1: Huh. Well, Guilt is one that I've had my eye on for a while in waiting for the port of it to arrive elsewhere so I can try it.
0: You don't want to go on and buy a Stadia?
1: No. It's gone.
0: There's no more. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I shocks. I missed that founder's edition. Darn it.
0: <laughs> All right. So why don't we jump into our main topic for today?
1: All right. From Forbes, Redfall's failure is a Microsoft's failure. Redfall reviews are in, and they are terrible. What could have been and should have been another hit from Arcane, maker of the excellent Dishonored, Prey, and Deathloop, is instead what may be the worst AAA release in recent memory. Even two hours in, I understand the poor reviews and do not understand the handful of good ones. This is a deeply, strangely bad game, so much so that I truly don't understand how it was released at all in this state. Not that I'm convinced more time would have even fixed it, in this instance. While it's true that Redfall is reviewing similarly poorly to Forspoken, the PlayStation console exclusive from earlier this year, it's easy to see how it's a different situation. That was a Square Enix game, and it was, at worst, a bad call from Sony to do an exclusive deal, not a reflection of a miss from a first-party Sony studio. But Redfall is from a prized developer that Microsoft purchased as part of a $7 billion acquisition and part of an effort where Xbox desperately wants to prove that, like Sony and Nintendo, It, too, can produce great first-party games now. Instead, this is doing the exact opposite.
2: I would love to read the exact backstory of how Redfall was conceived and made. Arcane has been known for its incredibly creative, fun, and innovative game concepts, whether that's the teleporting magic of Dishonored or the wild time shenanigans of Deathloop. Redfall is instead a generic open-world co-op shooter with... Essentially, zero tools to support co-op, no matchmaking, host-only progress, and it feels like a poor man's Far Cry game from a decade ago. But the main point here is that Redfall's failure is Microsoft's failure. Microsoft decided to push forward with this release, despite the fact I genuinely believe that this game should have been canceled after Microsoft saw what it was shaping up to be after the acquisition. And if it eventually became too late to do that, this should have gotten even more time to be polished. Even if the core concept couldn't be salvaged, perhaps that would have solved more of the glaringly obvious technical issues. Instead, we are left with now goofy sounding tweets from Phil Spencer announcing last year's delay, saying that they will release these great games when they are ready. Redfall's not ready. And given what's here, I'm not sure it ever would be.
0: Redfall arriving in this state from Arcane, of all places, speaks poorly of Microsoft's management of its first-party studios, and instead of beginning to turn around that narrative like it was supposed to. It's done the opposite. The up-and-coming release of Starfield delayed a full year already is now something of a terrifying prospect for Microsoft because there is so much pressure on it to deliver. More than any release this generation so far, and I'd argue probably more than any announced release to come. It's a bigger deal than the return of Perfect Dark and fable i'd say since starfield is a mainline game from bethesda you would expect something at least as successful as fallout 3 or 4 or an elder scrolls title but if arcane dropped the ball this badly who knows what might happen with bethesda here as nothing seems like a guarantee in the Microsoft era now at a certain point this all comes back to microsoft just microsoft whatever they're doing it's not working We are over two years into a console generation, and Microsoft just has Flight Simulator and Forza and Hi-Fi Rush as its prize releases. Ouch. While Halo (laughs) Infinite already misfired. An arcane game should have been the layup, but instead it feels like they're being carted off the court in an ambulance. I don't know what Microsoft needs to do here because it's not clear what's going on behind the scenes to create messes of this scale, but it needs to be fixed. And now the weight of the world moves solely to Starfield. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Swinging a mess. Yeah. Yeah.
1: This is a bad day to wake up and be Microsoft.
0: Right. Before I, I get into all this, the one thing that always attracts me to a game is when people say it's bad. I always feel like I gotta try it out for myself. So I might be picking this game up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you were the one who's been saying all along that you were really, really looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, I, I, I was based off of just, you know, some of the the descriptions of the game and some of the, the trailers that have come out based on that. It just it looked good. It looked like it was something that was fun, but the description that we're hearing here, especially the fact that there is no online matchmaking and that only the host of a party their progress is what's saved. That's that's like late 90s, early 2000s level of understanding when it comes to online games. Like yeah, that, that just that, doesn't make sense. That doesn't
1: fly in the Warzone world. That does exactly. not fly at all. Exactly. That's so bad. Especially for a game that, as I understand it, co-op is a huge part of it.
0: If you're not going to do the best part of the game right, then you don't have to do the game at all. And I, I think it's an interesting viewpoint of this is that, you know, usually we would blame the studio, like Arcane, right? That's the one who who pushed this out, just like we would blame Square Enix for, for their problems when it comes to a game. <coughs> Balance World, <Wonderworld. coughs> Balance World. <Wonderworld. laughs> but the fact that, yeah, Microsoft took this over. They're the ones who decided to roll forward with the game and they put no stops to it and decided not to change anything. You're right. Does speak volumes about what's happening at that studio. The other question is is this whole issue when it comes to the acquisition of Activision Blizzard having obviously some kind of effect on their ability to manage the rest of their stuff. I would imagine that's taking up a lot of their time, so the rest of their company fails while they're trying to get this 6.8 billion dollar deal to work out. It's mm-hmm. it's like trying to save the roof when the foundation's on fire.
2: Yeah. I mean, Game Pass is just amazing. I think somebody who's just starting out a game collection might just start there, you know. Absolutely. So that is probably holding them up and they probably think we're we're eventually going to have all these great new titles for it that'll keep people here, but that's like you said it's not happening. Although Hi-Fi Rush is my game of the year. I want to write a dissertation about that game. <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> I wonder if this was a boardroom decision of this game either needs to be canceled or we just need to release it and deal with the fallout and, right. and just get some money back
1: yeah i mean like the like the article says we don't know what's going on behind the scenes so it's hard to say it's entirely possible that microsoft said well you know arcane is such a normally a great studio, and and their games are really celebrated. Dishonored, Prey, Deathloop have all done really well. And so this game seems iffy, but we're going to go ahead and trust them. And then it didn't work out. That could have happened, or it could have been Arcane saying, it ain't ready, and Microsoft saying, well, we've got exactly two games coming out this year that people are excited about, despite the fact that we have 23 first-party studios. We've got two games coming out that people are excited about that are going to make it worth buying our console for exclusives. So even if it's not ready, we got to get it out. I haven't seen anything from the game. I haven't seen any gameplay. Didn't buy it, of course. So I don't know anything about this. I don't know if it's as bad as people say it is. And I think probably the two of you are the same.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep.
1: So we can't say for sure whether (laughs) all the terrible reviews are accurate or not. But the impression that they're bad is really almost all that matters. It's a little bit of a cyberpunk thing. Was it as bad as people said it was? Sometimes, sometimes not. But the the reputation that it was terrible followed it for a long time. And cyberpunk had a hell of a lot more going for it than Redfall does. Right. So this really does bring up some big questions about Microsoft and their <laughs> continued position, I guess, in the video game industry. Because if you've got 23 first-party studios and can't put out games, what are you What are you even doing?
2: Yeah, what is happening
1: over there? <laughs> <laughs> like you have one job. Do it.
2: Have you guys played Hi-Fi Rush? I have not, no. No. Oh, it's so great. It is so great. I mean,
1: I'd like to. <laughs> I want it to come to Switch. It seems like the kind of game that should definitely be on Switch. But, I mean, your point is well made, is that Microsoft needs these games to stay where they are you know vampire survivors is another one it's not on any other consoles it's on pc and it's on xbox i think it really it does say a lot when the biggest games on your console for the year are like a pair of indie games
0: right
2: right yeah is it time to go sega and just be <laughs> a studio well no because you can't release the games that's the problem right you have a great console like the xbox series s series x is a great console
1: Indeed. Yeah, just what do you play on it? Besides, exactly, you've got Game Pass (laughs) and Microsoft is kind of just existing on the strength of of their library, their back library, but that's not going to last you forever.
0: Well, the problem too with Game Pass is that we've learned that it doesn't make money for them either. So even though people are paying nine bucks a pop, or they were talking about increasing that, uh, it's still not generating any revenue uh, of significant value for Microsoft. So. They're mm-hmm. floating on a lost leader.
1: Right. Because I think we've talked about before that they had somewhere in the m- in the ballpark of like 25 million subscribers on Game Pass. Nope. But the install base was like 60 million. So they still have a huge portion of their install base that doesn't want Game Pass for whatever reason. And it's right. probably sitting there waiting for the console games to play that would justify the purchase price of their their box sitting in their living room. And they're probably just still waiting. And so now, because Redfall has debuted like this, it kind of makes you wonder whether there's anything that Starfield can do at all. If Starfield arrives, and let's say it's perfect, let's say a miracle mm-hmm. happens and Starfield arrives and it's absolutely perfect and it's everything that everybody hoped it would be. That gives Microsoft one game.
0: Yeah. And if you're not into that kind of game, right. then who cares?
1: There are a lot of people for whom Starfield is not going to be that game.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. They need more. I mean, they know it. What do you even say? It's it's crazy.
0: <laughs> Indeed. And the question that I would say is then if, this, if Starfield doesn't work out and they're unable to get one of those system seller games available, do you think Microsoft survives this generation and goes on to the next one?
1: Oh, yeah, totally. They have way too much money. <laughs> oh, <that's fair. laughs> they could probably put out like four generations worth of failed stuff in a row before they'd start to worry but
0: well they're on two right now right because the xbox one was not not uh not the didn't didn't quite have the impact
1: yeah that that brought up the bottom of the sales charts of the last gen for sure right
2: yeah i think they got i think they have one more failed generation before before difficult conversations start
0: so they just need to make a hybrid
1: (laughs) well and and like rob said it's not the hardware fault the hardware it's great hardware right where are the games though?
0: Yeah, And that's why they're buying everyone and their mother. But even that isn't turning out to be a fruitful endeavor.
1: Right. In a weird way, I would say that uh, Redfall's failure adds a lot of weight to Sony's argument that they may make Call of Duty exclusive, even though Microsoft is swearing up and down that they won't and inking all these deals all over the place to make sure it doesn't stay exclusive. They may eventually come to the realization that, you know what, we don't have any games. So we better keep Call of Duty for ourselves.
2: Well, they say for 10 years, and that would be like in the next console cycle. Right. So if it was still a flopped console during that cycle, they'd be like, well, the next Call of Duty only here. So, you know, see in a little bit.
0: And think about all the people that would flock to a game if they waited a couple extra years to, to release a Call of Duty game. Oh, yeah, for yeah. sure. Absence makes the heart grow fonder, right?
1: (laughs) I don't know. With Call of Duty, you don't know because they come out every year. So that's never been tested.
0: Right. That's fair. That's fair. So like if your husband wasn't getting a new Call of Duty game, would he just continue to play the same Call of Duty or do you think he would try to find something else?
1: No, Warzone changed the dynamic there. So as long as they have Warzone, they don't even need the traditional annual releases anymore. They're all happy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So there's your answer right there. They'll just keep updating Warzone for the next 10 years. Mm -hmm. And then when it's time, exclusivity comes into play. Boom, come buy our console. Yeah, Warzone
2: high-res pack on Xbox (laughs) 2 or whatever.
0: This time it's only one terabyte to download.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, in 10 years, maybe that'll be like nothing.
0: Right, that's true. All right, so before we move on, let's take a quick break to talk about our sponsor. This segment is proudly sponsored by the Lidus Podcast. It's a show where three friends and occasional guests play games about video games, including trivia, game show games, and more. Here is this week's trivia question. In Pokemon Red and Blue, you find them on the ground in the Safari Zone. In the Outer Worlds, you have to dig them up from the ground. What unique inventory item are we talking about? Tune into the latest podcast this Wednesday to hear the answer. You'll find the Leeds on your favorite podcast platform. We'll also have their links in the show notes. So what do you think?
1: I actually know this answer cuz I played Pokemon Blue a few years ago.
0: Interesting. So I actually did as well. So Rob, we're going to ask you to guess.
2: I have never played a Pokemon game before. Ooh, hot take. <laughs> and oh yeah,
0: for sure. Yeah,
2: I was I was kind of too old for it and but um I'm going to, since we were talking about Vampire fire.
0: I'm just going to say... Redacted. Okay. Yeah, it's a good guess. Good guess. <laughs> so, Blue, what do you think the answer is?
1: The correct answer is... Redacted.
0: Very good. Wow.
1: Which is a weird-ass inventory item. Okay. <laughs> exactly.
0: Exactly. And I had the same logic as you, because I had played Red and Blue a lot as a kid, and I knew it was in the Savari zone. I know you got to take it back to that guy in Fuchsia. He gives you an HM4, if I remember right. But I remember that being like a side quest to do.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: I, that was a guess because I've never played Outer Worlds before. Yeah, so me I was like, neither. <laughs> the funny part was I was asked if Donnie or Blue was going to get this. And I said, oh, no way. <laughs>
1: so I was wrong. <laughs> Suck it up, bitch. I got it.
0: <laughs> Tim will be so upset. <laughs> All right, thank you for coming, students. Please take your seats. Welcome back to Professor Rybrett's Gaming History 101. And in today's lesson, with the five year anniversary of Nintendo Labo happening in late April of this year, we'll be talking about the history of toys to life peripherals in video games because nerds don't grow up, they just get bigger toys.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Truth. <laughs> So the concept of Toys to Life have to do with the peripherals that help enhance the gaming experience with the use of action figures, figurines, add-ons, or toys. The distinction is a little difficult to separate it from pure controllers, but mostly it's considered to be something that can be played with in-game and out of game. So while Rob is often called a toy, technically Rob is just a robot-shaped controller.
2: I take offense to all of this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now i personally played a lot lot. lot of pew-pew sessions with my N.E.F. Zapper as a kid, but the long attached wire to it made it cumbersome and a little bit dangerous as a toy.
1: The best toys are a little bit dangerous.
0: Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. (laughs) Lawn darts are great. (laughs) (laughs) So let's start with one of the first examples. It was actually something I covered in a past Gaming History 101 with VHS games. It's called Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future from 1987. It was a VHS light gum game where the controller was a battery-powered military jet. Now, complete with an action figure that sat in the cockpit and would actually eject while playing the game if you got hit. Essentially being the first video game that included an action figure to play when the TV was off. Now, Toys to Life wouldn't have another true entry until 1999. With Redbeard's Pirate Quest. It was a PC game that came with a plastic pirate ship that connected via the printer port, and players could interact with the game by placing pirate figurines on different places on the ship, getting different things to happen on the screen by moving and rotating them. Now, I ended up getting a little curious about this while doing research, so I went what on did the you eBay. Do? <laughs> I went on the eBay. <laughs> And I bought a complete box copy of this game. <laughs> <laughs> wow!
1: If you don't mind me asking, how much mm-hmm. was that?
0: Uh, it was under fifty dollars. Okay, so, yeah. not as bad not as t- I was t- thinking. Yes. Uh, well, when I saw the prices, I was like, oh, okay, I can pick that up. And it's interesting. So, it, I when I got the game or the box today, actually, I lifted it up and i expected it to be a lot heavier and i'm thinking to myself oh my god it was only the box they shipped me oh my god this is going to be bad like me having this fear that i didn't read the description right but yeah. uh, sure enough the whole thing's there the cds there the only thing that's missing is the uh, connector port to the printer which you know i can find by just going to like fries.com or whatever but kind of cool to be honest with you it's got all these little Places where it like magnetizes to uh, the ship. So the, all the little characters and stuff like click to it and you can move the little buttons around and everything to, to get things to work on the screen. So not exactly probably the most fun gameplay because it's listed as four and up. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not expecting it to Woo! be, you know, <laughs> you know, Secret of Monkey Island, but uh, wow. still kind of a unique piece of gaming history to own. Now, the next one we're going to talk about is the Mattel Hyperscan from 2006. Now, this was a truly ambitious console that used collectible trading cards that would activate features and save data from the games. One of the new features is that players were able to enhance the ability of characters by scanning cards into the system, which used a RFID technology. Now, sadly, the console wasn't very popular. Due mainly to, mainly to the less-than-stellar gameplay, but interestingly enough, four out of the five games were licensed by big properties of the time, including X-Men, Spider-Man, Marvel Heroes, and Big Ten. And a fifth game called Interstellar Wrestling League was a Fighter esque fighting game. Now, two players, or two games that ended up being canceled were Nick Extreme Sports and Avatar The Last Airbender. The console was only on the market for a year and sold an abysmal 10,000 units. Yikes. Ouch. Yeah. It looks kind of cool. It is cool, but it is really buggy. And half the time, it doesn't read the cards. So mm. it's got to work for, for people to buy yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Now jump forward to 2011, and I'm willing to bet you can guess the next toy to life peripheral by Activision. Any guesses? Skylanders. Skylanders. Yeah, the Skylanders, but go. I
1: didn't remember if that was Activision or not.
0: Yeah, I was. I didn't remember that it was Activision... Originally either, but yep, Activision Skylanders. Now Skylanders games included a power portal, a device that plugged into the console that used near field communication technology to input characters into the games. While the HyperScan tried to do something similar, making their figurines slash cards a separate purchase, Skylander was exponentially more popular with over 582 Skylander figurines to collect. It caused the frenzy among young gamers to collect these interactive toys And with price charting listing the Camo Fruit Punch figure currently selling for $576, it has obviously created a collector's market. Now, one thing that hindered the series has to do with the limited number of games released. Only seven with the final game, Ring of Heroes, released in late 2018 seeing the success of skylanders disney decided to throw their hat into the toys to life model coming out with their own disney infinity series in 2013 now relying heavily on their ips to help push sales including classic disney pixar marvel and star wars characters very similar to skylanders and honestly we wouldn't hold it against you if you confuse them at any point in your life (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But the main difference has to do with the characters or what the characters did for the games. Infinity games were giant customizable sandbox games, helping players really use their imaginations. Each character had base moves and attacks, but included their own unique abilities. There were three playset modes released over a two-year period that contained their own unique campaigns. Not just figurines, but there was also discs that could be placed on the Infinity Base to activate skins and other in-game enhancements. And with over 346 figurines and discs, there's a lot to collect and play with. Now, lastly, we will cover Nintendo's foray into into the toys-to-life market with induction of the Amiibo. Now, prior to the release of the Amiibo, Activision offered Nintendo an opportunity to get an exclusive partnership with their Skylanders franchise. Now, for reasons I could not find, they passed on the exclusive partnership. But in March of 2013, Nintendo released the game Pokemon Rumble U for the Nintendo Wii U that used near-field communication technology to support their own interactive figurines. Now, following... In line with their roots as a toy company, Nintendo would announce Amiibos at 2014's E3, both available for Wii U and 3DS players, with Smash Bros. Wii U being the first game to release with Amiibos specific to the game. Now, tapping into the popularity of their first-party characters, they released figurines for many games throughout the next few years, including 12 games with specific Amiibos being released. With the Switch coming out in 2017, Amiibos were, would follow along with the new console. One gripe that many people had was that the Wii U Amiibos were not universally compatible with the Switch games at launch, but that has since been addressed. Now, oddly enough, a lot of the success Amiibos came from has to do with the collecting of the figurines which started a massive rush for collectors to get their hands on them and leave them in their original packaging displayed on their shelves creating a massive third-party market with rare amiibos fetching outrageous prices from collectors now currently the most expensive amiibo is listed at 250 dollars, being qbbi or quibi i think sure wow. <laughs> but amiibos are still popular today and with uh When a new one releases, collectors and players line up to get them. So out of curiosity, um, have the two of you got into Amiibos at all? No. No. no, Not at all. I I saw those (laughs) when they came out and I thought, only an idiot will buy them.
2: They'll never be worth money. And I wish I would have just bought them. (laughs) It's funny how that goes, you know? (laughs) Out of all of these, the only thing I really did play with only a few times was uh, Captain Power. Oh, yeah. I was like, man, I must have been in like fourth, fourth grade, something like that. And
1: no way. That's cool. My
2: yeah. My buddy had it and I thought it was cool for a little bit, but then after you play it like twice, it's it's...
0: Oh, the game is terrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but the packaging is what sold that game. I mean... Every kid wanted a fighter jet anyway. Oh, it plays video games. Sweet. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, totally. And then I bought um, Starlink, Yep, that Star Fox game,
1: mm-hmm.
2: which is kind of like that. And I bought the whole package just because I was like, oh, well, I mean, maybe it'll be worth money. I don't know. And I didn't play it with all the toy things because I was like, I just couldn't have my kids (laughs) look at me while I'm playing with this thing, you know, and they're like, why are you playing with the toys? And (laughs) and that was so boring. That was, I felt like I was lied to. That was not a Star Fox game.
0: I think uh, many people share that sentiment. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Well, to wrap things up for us, uh, Toys to Life started off as... Actual toys and transferring into useful tools for players to access extra content. And players and collectors alike enjoy the unique pieces of technology, whether it's getting the skin you want for your squidlings in Splatoon or having a fun conversation piece to stack on your walls. It appears toys to life are here to stay. So thank you for attending today's Gaming History 101. Just a reminder if you have ideas for a story you'd like to hear, send us a message at gamersweekpodcast at gmail.com and we might feature your suggestion. Well, that'll do it for us here at Gamers Week. So thank you for listening to episode 71 of Gamers Week podcast. And a big thank you to the Retro Game Club podcast. Woo woo the <laughs> podcast and love retro btw for sponsoring this episode and don't forget to check out their links in the show notes if you want to connect with gamers week follow us at twitter at gamers week pc email us at gamers week podcast at gmail.com watch us on twitch at twitch.tv slash gamers week podcast visit our merch store at gamers dash week dash podcast creator spring.com or if you want to do the easy way follow the link in the show notes and join us on patreon at patreon.com slash gamers week Finally, since you made it all the way to the end of the episode, please leave us a rating and a review to let us know how we did. We really value your feedback. And while you're there, consider subscribing on iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast platform of choice. And before we go, Rob, thank you so much for joining us this week. Yes,
2: Guys, thank you. thanks for having me. This was so fun. I loved it. Awesome. Thank you again.
0: Big fan. <laughs> Rob, if people wanted to find Joe, where could they search for Retro Game Club Podcast?
2: Just go to retrogameclubpodcast.net. That just you know, it's a generic site, but it has all our links there. You can find us on all the uh, any place you listen to podcasts. It's it's audio only, so I don't think we're on YouTube. We might be. I don't know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we're audio only anyway, uh, too. So you know, it's the, yeah. the old school way of podcasting.
0: <laughs> you guys are so retro. <laughs> well everyone says or not everyone but we get a lot of people who are like oh I love our uh, gamers week it's, a, it's such a great retro podcast like well <laughs> some of it sure
1: <laughs> I mean retro is more in your attitude than than like
0: there you go what you talk
1: about we have a retro I attitude I like the
0: way of life I like Yeah, that. I'm gonna put that on my resume <laughs> <laughs> alright everybody have a good night good night good night
2: Welcome to Gamers Week Uncut. Welcome to Gamers Week Uncut.
1: Welcome to Gamers Week Uncut, Uncut, patrons with benefits. This is the unscripted patron-only bonus cast with less editing and more dirty jokes. We don't know where the conversation will go, but we're sure it will be weird.
2: This fish just went right on my nipple. And I'm looking...
1: (laughs) (laughs) I Google Street Fighter 6, the first search result that comes up is people think they can see Ryu's d- in the Street Fighter 6 reveal.
0: <laughs> Listen up here, kids. You're not going to want to get one of those VDSTDs things, right? Make you d- fall off. When you go, grab a pro. You'll be doing it for America. That was perfect.
1: <laughs> if you want to hear weekly episodes of our patron-only bonus cast, join us at patreon.com slash gamersweek.